0: that time again, and I'm so glad you've chosen to join us here on Faith Is. This is the place to be when you want to talk about confidence in God, when you want to talk about stretching in God's direction, when you want to think deeply about some important things, but at the same time, give yourself permission to think out loud, because that's what we do here. I don't guarantee that every thought that we share together is fully developed or... 100% 100% well-conceived, but we want to challenge each other to stretch in God's direction. We want to challenge each other to think about important things, to think deeply about them, to not gloss over things and not sweep things under the rug, but we want to think out loud. And I'm so glad that you have this time that you're willing to share with us, and I want to encourage you to find a place in your regular routine, I think weekly would be great, where you can share with some friends and have the opportunity to think out loud about the Bible. I often describe what I have in mind as having a conversation about the Bible, where you maybe pick a significant story from the Bible and you read it and you ask yourselves questions about it and you ask questions about the text and you stretch each other and It's amazing in those settings what we can help each other grasp and learn and discover. It's amazing how it seems the sharing of life and conversation around the Bible just brings out the best in us many times. And I remember discovering this approach to Bible study years ago. I have always liked it. I so much appreciate that I have that opportunity every week. And that it really does, and I don't necessarily say we have, uh, what would I say, uh, earth-moving insights every time, but when I meet with the guys of our church on Wednesday morning for breakfast, we often discover things just in the hashing them out, just in the thinking out loud, if you will. So, uh, I'm thankful for that group, and I hope you will find such a group. Well... I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and as I said, this is Faith Is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We often struggle with trusting God, and we try to help each other trust Him more. How many times do you come up to a situation and you think, well, God would probably like me to do this, or to change my idea about that, and you just, well, you hesitate, And you think, well, I know it's the right thing to do, but I don't know. Well, see, that's the cutting edge of learning to trust. Because if you know God wants you to do it, then doing it is a demonstration of absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because he won't lead you in a way you shouldn't go. So that's kind of what we're trying to do here, is to help each other grow in God's direction, to stretch toward his high calling, because we want to, we want to, aspire to whatever it is that god wants for us and we want to experience whatever it is god wants to do in us and when we have confidence in him we go on a journey of discovery and might i add the light so we're coming up on thanksgiving here in our country and a lot of people are beginning to think about what they're going to have for dinner or whether they're going to go out for dinner. Maybe they have a regular family gathering for Thanksgiving. I remember that when I was a kid. We always went to my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving. And I remember I regularly ate too much. Uh, But it was a joyous day and, and an enjoyable day. And when I was a kid, I recovered faster from those kinds of things than I do now. But that's kind of a different story, so let's not get in that ditch. But I was thinking, should we talk about Thanksgiving this week or next week? Well, this weekend, it's before Thanksgiving, and next weekend, it's after Thanksgiving. And sometimes in the, the way we tend to celebrate holidays, we, we do all of our thinking and preparation and experience leading up to, and then once the day is over, then we just forget about it. And that's in part understandable, but what do you think? Maybe we should surprise ourselves and think about Thanksgiving a little longer than just one week. Just a little bit before, but I wonder if we would stretch Thanksgiving and think about it a little bit afterwards. Maybe we'll do that next week. We'll see. But don't give up on Thanksgiving just because the day comes and goes. And so I was thinking, what am I thankful for? And, you know, any of us could make a very long list, and most of us could immediately begin thinking about the things we haven't been particularly thankful for in our lives. And we understand that, but that's really not the point. The point that God wants us to recognize is we should be thankful for the things that he has blessed us with, the places we've been, the people we've known, the experiences we've had, all those kinds of things. And we should concentrate more on giving thanks than on bemoaning the way things are or or the way we wish they have been or had been or realizing they never will be, all those kinds of things. Those can be traps, and they aren't good for us. And we should not go down there. So let's think about Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? And can you, in the midst of whatever challenge you might have, can you find reasons to be thankful? Well, I'm confident that you can. And I'm confident that when you make the effort, God will help you. But I know for me, personally, I have had way more things happen good for me in my life than I ever would have imagined. I mean... I'm just a kid from Ohio. That's, that's, I often think about it that way. And I remember that people reminded me that people from Ohio are Buckeyes and that a Buckeye is a worthless nut. Well, that's a humorous thing. And if you're from Ohio, you are not worthless and you're probably not a nut. But I think I'm just a kid from Ohio. I didn't aspire to a lot of things because it never occurred to me to aspire to a lot of things. I just kind of went through... Growing up, like I thought everybody else did, nothing really got my attention that I ought to think about. Could I go there? Could I do that? Could I be this? Could I be that? I think my main focus was, because of the challenges of my church, was that I needed to find out what God had for me to do and pursue that. And in truth, I'm thankful that that he helped me discover that. And I'm, at this point in my life, don't have to wonder, did I make... The right decision about the the path I took in terms of ministry, because I recognized that God had given me what I needed for that, and so I pursued it. Does it make me perfect at it? A long way from that. Does it make me even really good at it? Well, I'm not even prepared to say that, but it has given me a satisfaction and a settled mind that I did what God put in me to do. But I've also been to some places I never imagined going. I can remember, maybe I've told this story, I don't remember, but it continues to amaze me. And so indulge me for a minute while we think out loud about being thankful. I can remember the school I attended in Ohio. I don't remember what grade I was in. I think it was the second grade, but I can't say that for sure. I know it was in elementary school, and I remember learning about Niagara Falls and how great that falls was and all the water and we saw pictures and all of that and i can remember thinking that's pretty cool but i'll probably never get to see it now it's true in those days when i was a kid people didn't travel like they do today we didn't have the vehicles that were suitable for that we didn't have the roads like we have today that made that easier i drove 4,600 miles recently on a trip so i know something about the roads being different now than they were then and when I look back on it, it seemed like Niagara Falls was way off, far away someplace, and I would never be able to see it. In truth, it was in a neighboring state to Ohio. Of course, it was in the neighboring state that was at the opposite end of Ohio from where I was. and, and But I still didn't make the connection about the distance. I just remember thinking, that's really cool, but I probably won't get to see it. Well, I'm thankful now. I've seen Niagara Falls several times, I've lost track, it's at least three or four, it could be five. I've seen Niagara Falls from the United States side and I've seen Niagara Falls from the Canadian side. So it reminds me that we need to give thanks. And I've been to places I never imagined being, I've enjoyed visiting places. For example, I never really thought at all until, lo and behold, it came up and we thought seriously about it and I had the opportunity to visit Israel and to see some of the places where Jesus walked some of the sites that are preserved to this day and experience some of the geography of that area and how much that has made a difference in my grasp of some of the things from the Bible I never thought I would go there I never thought I would really travel outside this country at all Uh, but lo and behold in my life I lived in Canada for a few years never would have imagined doing that but some of the finest people I've ever met I met in Canada Had some great experiences, some difficult experiences, but some great ones. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the good and the bad and all the rest of it. Because when you look back, it gives you perspective on how you have come and how far you've come. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I was able to visit Ukraine. Now Ukraine's in the news a lot. And having visited there, I have a little different perspective on that country because I was there. I visited the Chernobyl nuclear power station, the site of the terrible accident years ago. Never would have ever imagined going and visiting a place like that, but we had the opportunity, so I went. Well, those are are some examples. I've been places in this country I never imagined that I would go. I've met people I never imagined I would meet, some of them with big names, some of them just regular folks like you and I, but I've had the experience of meeting some people and of and of learning from some people and of working with some people that I never, ever would have imagined. And it causes me to look back and, and, and be thankful. And I just want to encourage you. Your life is probably a lot more interesting than mine has been. Uh, I enjoy some things differently than other people do. I'm the kind of crazy person that I enjoy going away for a week of study either going to a class or studying on my own. A lot of people would think that's the worst thing they'd ever want to do. Well, I'm different, okay, and you're different. So don't judge your experiences, the places you've been, the people you've known by mine. I'm not trying to be a name dropper, and that's why I didn't mention any of the people whose names you would recognize that I had the opportunity to meet. That's, it's not about that. I found out that those people are pretty much just like you and me, and some of them are more friendly than others, but I don't remember a sorry rascal among them. And so that's always encouraging to kind of get that perspective. But it's not about, you know, me trying to say, well, look what I've got to do. Have you gotten to do that kind of stuff? That's just, that's just ridiculous. It's about looking around and and asking ourselves, have I really recognized the things that happened in my life that I never imagined, never imagined getting to do or the places I've gotten to see? Now, to be sure, I've experienced some things that I would have been happy not to experience. Uh, That's putting it mildly, I suppose. But, you know, I've come to understand that life is life. And we can trust God through all of that. And if you're going through one of those periods where life is really life to you and it's difficult, let me just encourage you to, to press forward, to not despair. Yes, I know what it's like to feel the pain of some of those situations. I know what it's like to feel the hopelessness in some of those kinds of situations. We all do. And yet I think I'm well accompanied by many, many people who would say, God has been faithful and helped us in spite of all of the things. And God will continue to help us when we trust him. And one day, and I'm thankful for this for sure, one day God is going to make all of the wrong things happen right. Now, if you don't have anything else to be thankful for, be thankful for that. Because you and I can look around at the world we live in, and it seems like it's it's one horror after another. Just when we think it couldn't get worse, something else happens, and we look at each other and we say, you just can't make this stuff up. Well, that's true in a lot of realms. I, I've experienced that this past week on some things that I've worked on for a long time. And it's entirely possible that this really wonderful thing could go away completely. I have no power to control that. I will try to keep that from happening as best I can. But it's entirely possible other people will make a decision and that will just evaporate. Well, that's not a happy thought. It's not a good consequence. In fact, it has some bad consequences for people that you and I will never know. But I'm reminded that even when people disappoint me, even when people do things that I believe are unwise, there are still good things about the life we live, and there is still the confidence that we have in God that one day He will make all. Underline that, all of the wrong things right. And I don't have to take revenge, I don't have to have retribution, I don't have to call somebody out. I can trust that God will handle and make everything right in the end. People do something that they know will be a deliberate attack on me or the things that I care about, I don't have to take that to heart. I can recognize that there is a God in heaven who understands all of the rights and the wrongs, all of the things that I've done that I regret that I've done, all the things that I shouldn't have done, all the things that I don't even realize I did, that caused some kind of harm or hurt to someone. But that same God can make every wrong right. And one day he will. And I think that's worth being thankful for. Because if it was up to you and I, we would never be able to unwind and untangle all the messes in the world. Never. But I have confidence that one day... The God who rules and reigns and who loves us enough to come into our lives and make us new will make all of the wrong things right. And by the way, while we're talking about giving thanks, I should also say I give thanks for you. Because you listen to my thinking out loud on a regular basis, and sometimes I'm kind of amazed that anybody bothers to. But I appreciate you listening, and my hope is not that I have any great, uh, particularly earth-shattering insights but that maybe something that I say that God can use to help you be encouraged to take some steps in his direction. And and we can help each other this way and I'm thankful for that because because whether you know it or not you help me. We can lean into what God is doing instead of running away from it. And I want to encourage you to do that. That's where you meet grace. When you lean in when you stretch toward what God is challenging you with, because the things that He challenges us with sometimes are the things we resist the most. If You find yourself resisting, let me, let me really encourage you to lay down that resistance and lean into what God is saying, because His whole point is to make your life better, to make you new, to renew you from the inside out. So I'm thankful for you listening, and gives me this opportunity to talk about some things. I I thought maybe we ought to consider a couple of other Thanksgiving kinds of things, and um, there's a man that some of you may have heard of. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. His name is Paul Blair. He pastors a church in Oklahoma, and I got an email from him. I'm on one of his lists, maybe more than one of his lists. I'm not sure how many he has, but I hear from him now and then, along with many other pastors that are on these lists. And he sent along some thoughts on Thanksgiving. And I thought, well, you know, maybe this little bit of a summary might help some of us. And so I just want to read what he said about some of the early things that happened. And I want you to particularly listen to what he says about the Mayflower Compact. And we'll get to the end of that. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what has happened in the early days of our country And this is a very insightful, just a small little summary of some of that. But when it comes to the Mayflower Compact, listen to how he describes that and uh, take heart. So he starts out by saying, 102 passengers plus the crew set sail on the Mayflower from Plymouth, England. Not all were separatists. Some Anglicans were asked to join them because of their skill sets and their desire to come to the New World. For example, Miles Standish was security, John Alden was a cooper, and so forth. After 66 days at sea, they arrived at the tip of Cape Cod, Provincetown, on November 9, 1621. All 102 pilgrims survived the voyage. Because they were not in their intended destination of Northern Virginia, their patent from the king was non binding. They recognized the only chance to survive was unity, so they drafted the Mayflower Compact. On November 11, 1620, 41 men agreed to be bound by this rule of law they themselves had drafted. This was a monumental accomplishment in history. The Magna Carta was a governing document signed by a ruler and his subjects. However, the Mayflower Compact was the first time a group of equal, common people constituted a government agreement of, by, and for themselves. They stayed on the ship at night for nearly a month while teams explored the Cape, searching for the best location for a settlement. After a month of exploration on December 16, 1620, they chose and actually began building at modern-day Plymouth. It would have been then that they may have set foot on Plymouth Rock. Forty-seven of them died of illness over the first winter. But when Captain Jones offered them free passage back to England to save their lives, not one returned. Paul Blair continues, In what I believe was another miracle from God, almost simultaneously with the Mayflower's departure, the pilgrims were befriended by an English-speaking Indian who loved white people named Squanto. Squanto saved their lives, teaching them how to farm and hunt in the New World and also serving as translator in developing relationships with other tribes. It was the fall of 1621 likely in conjunction with the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrated the first Thanksgiving. And so writes Paul Blair, Pastor Paul Blair from church in Oklahoma, place that I lived. I lived in the state of Oklahoma, not the same place he lives. But Paul Blair gives us a little outline of some of the events leading up to that first Thanksgiving. And isn't it interesting how he says that it was likely in conjunction with the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles, they celebrated the first Thanksgiving. Well, God has a way of of connecting dots for us, and that was one of the fascinating things. About a year after they landed, they gave thanks in spite of the hardships, in spite of the losses. They gave thanks for what God had given them, and that's the kind of people that helped start our country. That's the kind of people we want to be, the people who give thanks. Well, there's a it's another story that I was looking at, thinking about Thanksgiving. And I don't, I, there's no end to these kinds of stories, but this one really got my attention. And I thought, well, maybe we ought to remember this one as well. But there's a story about St. Francis of Assisi. And this happened many years ago. It's a time honored story. And he and some of his Franciscan brothers wanted to meet and have a little bit of a reunion. They hadn't seen each other for a while. And so they agreed to meet in a remote monastery in the Umbrian mountains of central Italy. So they got there and they were enjoying their reunion. And they began to talk about the experiences they had on the way to their get-together. But one of the Franciscan brothers had traveled to the reunion by mule, riding on the back of a mule. And he said, God protected me in a miraculous way. When I was crossing a narrow bridge over a deep mountain gorge, The mule jumped. I fell and narrowly escaped, falling over the wall of the bridge into the gorge. God, by his love, saved my life. That was the end of his statement. The next Franciscan brother spoke up. Well, I had to cross a river, and I slipped and fell. The waters carried me down the river, but God, in his grace, provided a tree which had fallen across the river. I could grasp a branch of that tree and pull myself ashore, thanks to God's miraculous mercy. So two of them had quite interesting adventures on their way to the reunion. Well, finally it was St. Francis' turn to speak, and, and he said this, Let us thank God for his wonderful works. I did experience the greatest miracle of all on my way. I had the smoothest, most pleasant, completely uneventful trip. And I thought, well, that says a lot, because a lot of times we get caught up in, well, I don't have anything dramatic to say to be thankful for, and I often feel that way. In spite of the kind of surprising experiences I have, I don't consider my life all that spectacular. Other people would probably think it's pretty ordinary, but in the ordinary, St. Francis was able to say, it was a great thing. It was a completely great miracle because I didn't have anything eventful happen. Maybe that's your experience too and you could say that as well. So I think that's kind of a a worthwhile thing. And all of this Thanksgiving talk reminds me of an anthem, a choir anthem and with my earlier life, or it seems like a lifetime ago I was a church musician and I directed choirs and had a great time. That was still something I really fondly think about uh, I just don't do that anymore. It's not what God has for me to do, and that's fine. I don't, I don't uh, sit around bemoaning the days when I could do that, but I really did enjoy that. I, I, I had some great people to work with. And one of the challenges that you have when you lead a choir is you have to choose the music that the choir is going to sing. And in those days, I don't know so much how choir directors do it now, but in those days, I would get a lot of music that would come across my desk that I could review and think about, did I want to use this? Was the text appropriate? What about the musical setting? Did it have a good uh, music to it, both harmony and melody and all of the related things? And so I would evaluate those things and choose them. And I remember one anthem, and I don't know that I ever used it, and I'm not quite sure why I didn't. I might have, I just can't remember now. But the The point of the anthem has always stood out to me, and I think about it every time Thanksgiving rolls around. The the setting of the music was quite interesting and and, um, inspiring, and I enjoyed that very much. But the thing that got my attention was, it was essentially a recounting of the way God had blessed us. And so the writer of the lyrics had crafted them in a way that helped us give thanks for how God had done this or that in our lives. And then it ended in a most unusual way, and it ended with the sense that in spite of all these blessings, it ended with a plea and a prayer that God would grant us one more thing. And it built up to this kind of dramatic moment that the, the singers, as the choir would sing, would sing, grant one thing more. And it built up, and then there was a a, a a pause in the music, and the request was simply that God would grant us one more thing. Grant us a grateful heart. It was an acknowledgment that we sometimes take things for granted that we shouldn't, and that we often forget to give thanks when we should. So that's kind of where I'd like us to to wrap up our Thanksgiving thoughts. I really didn't know if I'd spend this much time on Thanksgiving, I'm not sorry that we did because this whole idea of giving thanks really does matter. And it really does good things for our hearts when we give thanks. I know a lot of us, we, we just keep pressing forward and we don't stop to reflect. That's one of the things that I'm guilty of. We don't stop to reflect on the things that have happened and the good things that God has done for us and how he's led us forward. And that's true for me today. For me, for the church I serve, Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, God has led us to a really good place right now with an important challenge. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, I think we've needed this. And I didn't know when God would do it for us, but he's done it now. And so we're going to embrace the challenge. And and in all of this, God is going to give us grateful hearts and help us keep that perspective that he is with us. And it'll give us a chance at our church, for sure, to look back a little bit and say wow we have this to be thankful for and that to be thankful for and the other thing to be thankful for and you know when you do that you're just doing what the old testament does over and over when god would gather his people he would often have his spokesperson back in the early days it was moses then it was joshua later other prophets and whenever the people came to one of these kind of crisis-type situations where they had to make a decision or move forward or repent or whatever, God would often remind them of all of the things that he had done for them. And often, in fact, usually it started that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. You know, the parallel for us is that God has come in the person of Jesus to deliver us from evil, to forgive us our trespasses, so that we can walk with him to make us new from the inside out so that we can have lives of ever renewing refreshment. Jesus described life with him as though it was a spring of water welling up inside of us. And it's parallel to the water that God gave his people in the wilderness back in the Old Testament. And God is saying to us today that when we follow him, we can enjoy that. And part of that Place in our hearts and our minds and our attitudes comes from looking back and giving thanks to God for all that He's given us. And you know, I know this is a time when some families feel stresses and strains over holiday times, but could I urge you to put aside the stresses and strains and give thanks for the people, the family that God has given you? I would be pretty sure your family's not perfect. I don't know one that is, but I would be pretty sure that there are people that have been in your life that you call family that you can give thanks for and give thanks to God for all of his blessings in your life. Well, we're going to come back in just a few minutes. We'll take a break here and we're going to move on to looking at one of the Bible stories that Jesus told and gather some strength and some insight and some courage from that. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. Be back in a minute. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This
1: is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD.
0: Cofix Rx Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix Rx. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of
1: spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, foreign protein cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. Creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers.
0: Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutLoud.News was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. AmericaOutLoud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. See, there's another thing I can be thankful for, that you're still here and you're still listening. So let's plunge ahead, and you can even be thankful that you had a break from listening to me. How about that? See, when we look for reasons to be thankful, sometimes silly, sometimes serious, we can find reasons to give thanks. Well, I said before we took our little break that we'd get back to one of the stories of Jesus, and and I want to get to that. It's a parable... I have long loved the parables of Jesus, not quite sure why. I've been kind of drawn to them and fascinated by them. They teach us a lot of helpful things. Maybe that's why I've liked them. Um, I've liked kind of sorting them out and studying from other what other people think about them, trying to sort it out, what they mean for us today. And I want us to look at a, a parable from Jesus from Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. Now, this is a parable that talks about a man going on a trip and entrusting his servants with the care of his resources. And I think we should listen to this with, with great interest because it really describes, by my way of understanding, what God has done for us and then what he expects of us. Uh, I often spend, and this is, I believe, understandable, a lot of energy encouraging us, encouraging myself, to have confidence in God. After all, this is, faith is, where we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. So, it's understandable that I would emphasize that, but it's also understandable that we would talk about that, because the Bible talks about that, and has regular, frequent, over and over, Times that it says we need to trust God, we can trust him, we need to trust him. And so because of all of that, we tend to overlook the dynamic, can God trust us? Or is he trusting us? Or are we living up to the confidence he has in us? And I don't think we should take that as lightly as we do. And I think that's a big part of what this parable is trying to teach us. So let me read I'm read from the New Living Translation. I've decided to use that again this week because sometimes it's just clearer than some of the other translations. I don't necessarily find that one translation is better than the other. I'm not equipped to make that evaluation. You need to be a scholar of ancient languages to do that, and I'm not that. But I like the the clarity of the New Living Translation and Perhaps if you haven't been exposed to it, you will like it too. Now, some people, when they read a Bible translation that is clear and understandable, they don't think it sounds like the Bible because they can't believe they understand it. Well, isn't that a weird trap? Don't fall into that trap. The Bible was given so we could understand it. God wants you to read an English translation that you can understand and learn from and benefit from and thereby practice wisdom that you gain from the Bible. So here we go, New Living Translation, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 through verse 30. Again, and this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story. And let's just pause right there. He's about to tell us a story. It's a story that will have meaning to the people who hear it. Sometimes it has meaning to us, but sometimes we have to sort it out a little bit because it had real meaning to the people in ancient times in the context where he told it. It has real meaning to us, but sometimes we have to understand the setting of the ancient times for us to get it in our day and time. So, Jesus is telling the story about a man who's going to go on a trip, and we'll get through all of that. But he starts out by saying, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by. Now, when we see that phrase, kingdom of heaven, we often see heaven and immediately think, okay, he's talking about heaven, what we conceive of what we talk about what we imagine heaven to be like and heaven being the place where we Aspire to go at the end of time or upon the time that God calls us home in death We think of that as heaven now when Jesus and the New Testament uses a phrase like this they weren't Describing that place we call heaven. They didn't have the same conception now Jesus would have understood what we're talking about but But the hearers of Jesus in those days, they didn't have that same concept of heaven. They were just learning what Jesus was telling them, and we've had the opportunity to learn it and think it through, and so we have a different view, a different understanding of this idea of heaven. Sometimes the phrase in the New Testament is kingdom of God. Well, that's a good description, too. And the reason that it's not always kingdom of God is because in those days they were very careful about using the name of God, Yahweh. They didn't want to besmirch the sacred name. They knew to keep that name holy and to handle it with reverence. And so they would often use a different word like kingdom of heaven. So what this is talking about is really the kingdom of God, where God rules and reigns. This is how God's kingdom functions. All right. That's a lot of words for a rather simple concept, but I think it's important to make sure we get the setting of this. This is not pie in the sky, by and by. This is God's kingdom where he rules today, where we are participants in the kingdom of God. All right, let's start again. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant! If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, there's quite a bit in this parable that is there to unpack, and there's been quite a lot of interpretation of this over time. I was kind of surprised as I studied a little deeper into this parable. I've studied it before, but I looked a little deeper into it, at the variety of interpretations that were attached to it. I mean... Some of them I just thought were, you got to be kidding me. How could you think about that? Uh, Some others were, well, okay, maybe a little bit. But to me, and I think to most people who look at this, in fact, that's what has seemed to be the weight of the interpretive understanding, that this is a pretty straightforward story with a pretty straightforward point. Now, there's no moral to the story that Jesus recites at the end. The story is just told and left out there as though, I don't really need to tell you more. You probably should get this from what I've told you. And I think that's true. We should get it, the idea that Jesus is trying to convey, or convey, or maybe the ideas he's trying to convey, we should get them. And I think we do. And I thought, well, how do we talk about this? How do we unpack this? Well, there's a few things that we should make sure we clarify. Let's clarify this first. Because this may be the most difficult thing for most people today to wrap their arms around when it comes to thinking about Jesus. I want us to not miss what happened at the end. Two of the servants put the master's money, as is described in the New Living Translation, to good use, and they doubled their money. Gave it back to him. Five bags to five bags, two bags to two bags. So they had quite an increase, gave it back to the master when he returned. One of them faced the master's judgment on how he had handled what the master had entrusted to his care. And he didn't handle it well. And I think we need to recognize that God is going to call us to account for how we handle our lives. Now, we can get in a little more detail about what this means specifically here, and and we can think about that, and you can think about that. But before we get to the detail, or even begin to ponder the detail, I think we need to come to grips with God is serious when he says we're going to give an account. He is serious when he says that we will answer for the things he has entrusted to our care. Many people today, I hope you're not one of them, many people today, they just have this idea that because we talk about God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace, that somehow God will let them do whatever they want and in the end, he will understand that they really wanted to do right and that their heart was in the right place. Well, That has been concerning to me because when you read this kind of parable and other places in the Bible, Jesus doesn't make his judgment evaluations based on whether he thinks or we think our heart is in the right place. He makes his evaluation based on how we have handled what he has entrusted to our care. I'll give you an example of that from this story. Some people have interpreted this story as a story about stewardship. So God gives us resources, in this case money, it's spelled out in the parable as as silver, and expects his servants to handle that well and to give him a return on his investment. Well, I don't think this is about investing. I don't think it's so much about stewardship in in the money sense. I think it's about stewardship in a different sense, but not strictly restricted to money. And so sometimes people will use this parable and talk about, well, have you, have you given to God faithfully? Have you tithed your income? Have you given gifts to God above your income? Have you been faithful to put him first in your finances? Well, that's a good lesson to learn. And it's a good challenge to lean into. See, this is some of you are listening to this and saying, "Uh uh-oh, there he goes, talking about money. Well, no, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about how you handle your money reflects your heart. Don't try to tell God that your heart's in the right place when your money's in a different place, because the Bible's pretty clear about that. So that's an important lesson on stewardship. But I'm not, strictly speaking, limiting this parable to that idea. I think there's some other things that go into this, too. I think that, yes, God is talking about the things He entrusts to our care. They could be our skills and ability, our spiritual gifts, the uh, family we have, the, the opportunities around us as life comes our way to do good and to faithfully represent Him. I think the key here is, are we faithful to manage our lives and reflect what God has given us, By what we do and what we say, how we manage our affairs, to give a return to God on his investment in our lives. That's the key, not so much narrow focused on money. Now, one of the things that that I really believe we need to pay attention to is what the servant says to the master, the one with the one bag of silver, when he steps up to give an account. Let me read what he says here. Master I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Notice what it says here. He recognized that the master was was going to require an accounting. He knew that. I knew you were a harsh, as this one says, man, and that you would expect something. But then he confesses in verse 25 i was afraid now one of the interesting things to me and i've observed this in my life is how often god's people when challenged by god over something and since we just talked about tithes and offerings that could be the challenge he has for you today i don't know it could be something else might be the use of your time whether you're serving in your church whether you're even going to church regularly Could be any of those things that he'll put his finger on. But what he's really saying in this parable is you are going to have to give an account for how you conduct your life. And too many people today think that God's just going to give them a pass no matter what they do. And I don't read that in the Bible. To be honest, I don't see it at all. God seems regularly interested in how we conduct our lives and what we do with the opportunities, the blessings, the gifts, the graces the capital of whatever kind in our lives and we need to give an account for that and we will give an account for that and god will expect us to give an account now other, other things that people get get kind of troubled by in this particular story is what they perceive as rather harsh language from jesus and about the servant that failed to to do anything productive with what the master had, had entrusted to his care People get real annoyed when they read that that Jesus, and I, and by the way, I think it goes without saying, but we should talk about this. The master in this case is clearly Jesus, who's entrusting resources to his servants and then expecting a return. I don't, I don't think it's, it's understood any other way because he's talking about the kingdom of God and he's the master in the kingdom of God. So people get a little annoyed when they look at verse 26, for example, and, and they read that Jesus says, you wicked and lazy servant. Wow, Jesus, that's pretty strong language. I thought you were a nice person. I didn't think you talked that way to people. And um, that gets some people's attention. And he goes on and he castigates the guy and says, You know, you should have done differently, so at least I'd get interest back. And then he gives an order to take that money from that servant, what he had entrusted to his cares, now taken away from him. So it wasn't a permanent gift to him. And it's given to the one that had now the 10 bags of silver with the statement that to those who use well, what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what that little they have will be taken away. Now, that's, some people ask, pretty harsh, Jesus. Why are you taking it away? Well, think about that. He, he's saying that for a reason. Then he goes on to say, now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Very strong words from Jesus, particularly to our ears these days, when we don't want to think about that God is going to hold us to account. Now, why would Jesus use such strong language? Well, I think a couple of things go on here. One, we're just generally not aware that in those days they were not reluctant to speak plainly. And so there are a number of encounters that Jesus has with people where there are very strong statements made, but that's typical language of that day. So for Jesus to speak like this was not unusual in those days, and probably he was using that language to get our attention. Not so he could throw people into (laughs) outer darkness, with weeping and gnashing of teeth. That isn't his desire. He's using that to get our attention, to say, you don't want to go there, so step up with the things that I've entrusted to your care and get some kind of return on what I've asked you to manage. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? He's really trying to get our attention. And I guess I'm trying to get our attention today so that we recognize that God is not the, the the ultimate issuer of hall passes. You know, he's not the one who hands out a pass to go here and a pass to go there, and at the end of time, well, okay, you get a pass on that. I expected better, but you get a pass. No, he's saying he has expectations, and he wants us to live up to them. Now, maybe it, we'll clarify it a little bit if we go to the English translation called The Message. A pastor named Eugene Peterson translated the entire Bible in what we now call The Message, and it was really a well-done project for him. The more I have used it, the more I've appreciated it. It's not a replacement for a standard English translation. That's not what I'm suggesting. But it is a very helpful translation. So let's pick it up where the servant who had been given what he calls in this case one thousand. Let's see how it was he, he he uses dollars as a description. So he, he's talking about the the servant instead of getting silver he got a thousand dollars. The servant given one thousand said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is safe and sound, down to the last cent." Notice the servant acknowledges right up front that he knows the master has high standards. He knows the master doesn't like what this English translation is called, careless ways. He knows that the master wants the best. There's an old song we used to sing, give your best to the master. He knows that. And he says, I was afraid. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Isn't that quite remarkable? At least I would have gotten a little interest. Jesus concludes, Take the thousand and give it to the one who risks the most. And get rid of this, play it safe, who won't go out on a limb, throw him out into utter darkness. Now here's what just jumps out at me that I think is what God has for us today. We too often, as Eugene Peterson describes it, play it safe. We're too often reluctant. We just find all kinds of reasons to say, well, I can't do that. And and isn't it interesting, the master says, listen to how he puts this in his translation to the to the to the one that had a thousand and didn't do good with it God wants us to get over that and not be afraid he wants us to realize he expects a return and he expects us to do more than the least to step up and to stretch in his direction and really isn't that where the satisfaction is wouldn't we all like to be the 10 guy or the five guy that doubled absolutely we would and we, you and I, may not see our lives double for the kingdom's sake, whatever that measure might be, but we can all live lives of faithfulness. We can all step up when God calls us to step up. So that's my admonition to you. Step up, stretch in God's direction. Go for it. He has confidence in you. Live up to that confidence. Be strong. Be bold. Go with God. I'm Pastor Rick.